Good morning. I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corruption talk out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving of one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Good morning, church family. Appreciate Bruce's wonderful singing and uh, scripture reading we've had, the, the prayers we've had already. Uh, it's good to be together on this first day of the week. If your Bible's not already open to Ephesians 5, I would encourage you to open to Ephesians 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 21 uh, as we talk a little bit about being imitators of God, um, being, being a copycat as children tend to be. You know, children really are natural-born imitators. Uh, you know this if you have children. Uh, if you look on the screen behind me here, you'll notice several things that children do uh, as they imitate their parents. Uh, they learn to walk from us. They learn to drink uh, from us. They learn to eat. They learn to write. They learn to do all kinds of things by watching us, for good or for bad, right? Uh, you know that Elena and I have a two-year-old, and it's amazing how much she imitates us. It's amazing how much she copies us. She says the things that we say. She does the things that we do. And if I'm honest with you, she copies some things from us that sometimes I wish she wouldn't copy, right? Uh, when we say some things that I wish maybe she wouldn't repeat, or she does some things that I wish maybe she wouldn't do. Um, but as children, uh, we imitate those that are around us. It's just part of being a human. And as grown people, as most of us are here today, uh, we also are imitators, uh, we also like to imitate those who we surround ourselves with. And today, Paul is going to encourage us to be imitators of God. Um, he's going to encourage us to uh, follow in the footsteps of our Father. And before we kind of jump into the text today, I think there's a really important message from the beginning here. The important lesson is that Christianity is not just about uh, correct beliefs. It's not just about having the right doctrine, as important as those things are, but it's about imitating Christ. It's about actually doing the things that Christ did. It's about following in the footsteps of our Father. And again, as humans, we will imitate somebody. We will imitate those that we surround ourselves with. To put it in more theological terms, we become what we worship. Do you believe that? That whatever the object of our worship is, we tend to become like that thing? In, in other words, if we worship money, we will become greedy. 
If we worship ourselves, we will become selfish. If we worship our jobs, we will become workaholics. But what if we worship the one true God? Well, we will become what He is. We will become loving and kind and just and compassionate. This is why idolatry is so strongly condemned in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not just because God wants all the attention. It's because He knows that wherever we direct our focus and wherever we direct our worship, we will inevitably take on the personality traits of that thing. So becoming what we worship is an important idea in Scripture. So Paul is going to encourage us to imitate God and do the things that he does so that we can be better Christians. So we're going to look at three ways that we can do this. Let's first look at verses 1 through 7. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. Let's stop there for a moment. The first way that Paul says we should imitate our Father and follow in His footsteps, be a, be a copycat, right, is that we should walk in love. God is love, therefore we are called to walk in love. And in verse 2, he tells us the reason that we should do this. He says, walk in love as Christ also loved and gave himself for us. So the reason that we are to walk in love is because Christ so uh, beautifully and wonderfully uh, made... uh, His life was an example of walking in love. His love was a sacrificial love, not a self-serving kind of thing where he could uh, get things out of other people and exalt himself. And Paul says that when we walk in this kind of love, it is a fragrant and pleasing offering to God. Time and time again in the Old Testament, this same language of of a fragrant offering is a language that's used to describe something that is pleasing and uh, uh, delighting to God. And Paul says when we put on this kind of love and serve one another in a self-sacrificial way, It is something that is incredibly desirable to God. It is something that pleases God greatly. And this is the language that reflects that. Now in verses 3 through 5, we sort of have an example of what walking in love does not look like. It's the antithesis to love. And to talk about what the opposite of love is, he gives us three sex sins and three speech sins. Now, the three sexual type sins are sexual immorality, uh, which is the word porneia, where we get our word for pornography. Uh, It's a general type word that describes all different kinds of sexual immorality. He also talks about impurity and then greed, or your translation might say covetousness or something like that. So you might be thinking, well, how is greed a sexual type sin? Well, because it's in this list of of three sex sins back to back to back, 
I think we are to infer that this is talk of, uh, talking about lust, where we covet something else. We covet what is not ours, particularly somebody else's spouse. You know that the ancient world was one of great immorality. Uh, in fact, if you were to go to a particular temple to worship the Greek or Roman gods, an act of worship that you could do to please these gods was to have sex with the temple prostitutes. Um, as crazy as that sounds. So this was a world full of sexual immorality. But you know what? Our society is actually one of great immorality as well. And Paul says, in a world, in a society where sexual immorality is just running rampant, it is not to be even named among God's people. He also talks about three speech sins here, and they are obscenity, foolish talking, and crude joking. Um, So the speech sins are sort of related to the sex sins and that they are sexual in nature. And Paul isn't saying that we should never joke around or never have a good time, isn't he? Um, Of of course he's not. That'd be kind of a miserable life, wouldn't it? As Christians, we take great delight in the world. We have a good time with one another. Uh, There are certainly funny things that we should joke about. But he is saying that there are certain things that are inappropriate to make light of. You know, there are really two very easy ways to determine a person's character. Finding out what makes them weep, but also finding out what makes them laugh. In other words, if we don't weep at the things that God weeps at, uh, our personality and our, uh, our morals might not be lined up with our Father. Or if we laugh at the things that God weeps at, Uh, we might not be acting as Christ did. We might not be having that mindset of Christ. Our values are probably not aligned with God's. Another reason why he lists these speech sins is because we tend to act on what we talk about. As Christians, we should never say that our speech is different from our actions, as if we can talk about uh, anything we want or say whatever we want as long as we're not doing certain things. Because I think what Paul is saying here is that God cares deeply about the things that you and I talk about. Because the things that we talk about often become our actions. So here Paul paints this vivid image and he says that God is deeply concerned with the entire individual. He's, just not, con- he's not just concerned about the things that we do, but he's concerned about the things that we think about, the things that we talk about. He's concerned about our actions and our desires and our speech and our thoughts. He's concerned about the entire, the entirety of the individual. Now, I think we all would agree that these things are wrong, right? As Christians, we know that we shouldn't partake in these things. But why are they contrasted against walking in love? It seems a little bit different, doesn't it? Well, I think it's because to be sexually immoral is to not see others as being made in the image of God, but as objects to fulfill our sexual gratification. When we talk about sexually immoral things, when we act in sexual immorality, uh, we are not walking in love because sexual immorality involves another person. Whether that person is on a screen or that person is in real life, we are treating that person as not being made in the image of God, but as something to fulfill our selfish desires. So this is why Paul says you are to walk in love, and here is what walking in love does not look like. 
the reason why sexual ethics in Christianity are so, so high, higher than any other religion in the world, is because God wants to protect us from the emotional pain that sex outside of the commitment of marriage brings. There is no such thing as having sex with no strings attached, contrary to what the world would tell us. We believe that sex is representative of the one, fr- uh, the one flesh relationship between a husband and wife. Therefore, having sex is a very spiritual thing. It has a spiritual significance. It's not just a physical act. And God wants to protect us from, uh, from the emotional destruction that happens uh, when we overstep these sexual ethics. And when our speech is full of obscenity and foolishness and crude joking, we are making light of this very beautiful, very unique bond that God has made for a husband and wife. This is such a huge deal that Paul says this in verse 5. He says, For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now those are some pretty strong words, aren't they? They kind of make us cringe a little bit. Is that an overstatement? What is Paul saying here? Because I would imagine that there are those who might be here this morning who are guilty of committing some kind of sin of a sexual nature or lusting after somebody or speaking in a crude way. Paul says that there's no place in the kingdom of God for people such as this. Well, let me first say that if any of us are guilty of any of these things, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. This is certainly the place uh, for you to be because we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But in light of this passage, is there any hope for sins such as this? Maybe you want to know if there's hope for something that you have done that has brought you a lot of shame in your life. Well, I believe that Paul is talking here about a habitual pattern of unrepentant sexual immorality. He's talking about somebody that doesn't really care about the things that they do. He's talking about somebody that loves these things and has no intention of turning from them. For those of us who hate our sin and are actively working on becoming better Christians, yet we may mess up from time to time, there is always grace and always grace hope. But the idea is, do we love our sin and are we continuing in our sin without feeling any kind of shame about it? Or are we working on our sin and trying to put those things behind us, even if we fall short from time to time? So hopefully that can give you some guidance and some comfort this morning. Let's move on here. Verses 8 through 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So here's the second way that Paul urges us to copy God. The second way that Paul urges us to imitate our Father. He says, because God is light, we are to be 
light. It's interesting that in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he interestingly says that we are the light of the world. So what does he say? He says, I am the light of the world. And then he turns around and he says, you are the light of the world. So what is he saying? Well, he's saying that any light that we can show in the world does not come from ourselves, but his light shines through us so that we can shine in the darkness. Has anybody ever played with um, like glow-in-the-dark toys? Does anybody have anything like that at their house? We have a glow-in-the-dark Frisbee. Um, we have, I'm sure, some other things that Addie plays with that uh, glow in the dark. Uh, and maybe if you are scientifically minded, you could share with us sometime exactly how this happens. Uh, but the, the simplest way I know to explain how these items are able to glow in the dark is that you are to uh, expose them to the light. Uh, you're to hold them up to the sunlight so that they can soak up that light so that when it becomes dark, they're able to shine. In other words, glow-in-the-dark things, to the best of my knowledge, they don't shine on their own. They don't glow in the dark on their own. The only way that they are to shine in the darkness is by being exposed to the light. And I think there's something to be said there about how we are to be light. We aren't to go into the world and just out of our own goodness and our own minds and, and our own personality shine in a dark world, are we? No, if we are to shine in the world, it's going to come from being exposed by Jesus, who is the true light. You remember Moses in Exodus chapter 34, how his face shined brightly? Why was it that, uh, that Moses shined in such a way that he had to put a veil over his face? It was because he had spent considerable time with the Lord. It wasn't something that he did on his own that allowed him to shine. It was him being with the one true God that allowed him to shine in a dark world. So if we want to shine in the darkness and be the light, as Jesus says, we are to be the light, it's going to come from having intimate fellowship with Jesus. So hopefully you're carving out time in your schedule and, 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 and uh, reading the word and soaking up who Jesus is in scripture reading and in prayer so that you can shine in the darkness because this is the only way that we are going to be able to shine in a dark world. It's going to come after soaking up the light of Christ. Notice also the contrast of light and darkness here. Uh, what he describes as light as being, he says that it, uh, light is goodness and righteousness and truth. He says that light is something that exposes, it, it makes things visible. And then on the other hand, he describes darkness as being fruitless and secretive and shameful. Um, so as people that have stepped into the light, as Christians that have gone from death to life, from darkness to life, these are the kinds of things that uh, we are to see in our life, the changes that we're supposed to see in our lives as Christians. We are to be goodness and righteousness and truth. We are to expose darkness and make visible the things that need to be made visible. One of my favorite passages that describes walking in the light is 1 John, 5, uh, 1 John 1, 5 through 10, if you want to flip over there with me for a moment. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. 
If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So according to John here, who, by the way, talks a lot about light and darkness. It's one of his favorite images to describe the Christian life. But according to John, what makes a person walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in the light? Does it mean being sinless? No. Does it mean never messing up and becoming this perfect person? That's surely what walking in the light means, isn't it? No. What does he say? He means that walking in the light means not being sinless or not, uh, not um, pretending that you have everything together. But walking in the light means being honest with yourself and being honest with God and being honest with your brothers and sisters that you don't have everything together. In other words, he also says here that we walk in darkness when we lie to ourselves and say that we have not sinned. So walking in the light means uh, being transparent with God, being transparent with one another, and saying, brothers and sisters, I need your help for these struggles I have in my life. And when we do this and we walk in the light, John says that this is something that is pleasing to our Father. So are we walking in the light? Are we being honest with ourselves about our sin and asking one another uh, to lift us up to our Father? The last thing that Paul says here in verses 15 through 21, let's go ahead and read that together. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So the final way that Paul says we are to imitate God is that we are to walk in wisdom. God is wise, so we are to act Wisely, And he says we do this in verse 16 by making the most of the time. Now, I think most of us as American citizens are probably relatively picky about our time, right? We like doing things on our own time. We like sticking to our schedules. Uh, we don't like others impeding our time, right? I think it's just part of our society. And I know this is the case because if you were to go down here at any stoplight on Campbell... If you don't start driving within half a second of the light turning green, you will be just inundated with honks, a little bit of encouragement to stop wasting people's time, right? We like our time. We like making the most of our time. And as much as we like making the most of our time, Paul wants us to make the most of our time as well. And he gives us two contrasting ways of how we can walk in wisdom and make the most of our time. He says we can either get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living and foolishness, as he says, or the the other thing we could do is fill ourselves with the Spirit. 
So here are the two ways, the two paths to making the most of our time. Either fill ourselves with wine or fill ourselves with God's spirit. The Bible condemns drunkenness because it alters our state of mind and it leads to us doing things that we regret. But I think one contrast Paul is making here is that it's not just about wine necessarily, but I think what he's saying is that we can fill ourselves with worldly things and waste our time, or we can fill ourselves with spiritual things and make the most of the opportunities that we have. We can either be foolish or we can be wise. The foolish person is full of, the, of, uh, of drunkenness and the things of this world, but the wise person is full of God's spirit that dwells in them. I love what he says next here in verses 19, 20, and 21. He tells us exactly what it looks like when we are full of God's Spirit. He says that uh, we are full of God's Spirit when we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, So when we can't just, when we can't help ourselves but sing out to God in the assembly of the saints, um, that is a mark of God's Spirit within us. Uh, I think of people in my life who just couldn't help themselves but sing, not just in the assembly, but in their private lives as well. Around the house, when they go to Walmart, it seems like these spiritual songs and these things of God were were continually on their lips. This is a mark of God's Spirit. The second thing he says in verse 20 is that when we are full of God's Spirit, we are constantly giving thanks. Uh, That's a pretty big one, particularly when there is a lot to complain and grumble about. A mark of God's Spirit is giving thanks in all circumstances. And then finally, in verse 21, he says that we all submit to one another when we are full of God's Spirit. Did you know that submitting to one another is not a sign of weakness or a lack of authority? I think the world would tell us otherwise, right? That you don't submit to people that are considered inferiors. You don't submit to people that are your equals. Uh, Maybe we even reluctantly submit to our superiors, But Paul says that when we are full of God's Spirit and we are acting wisely, the church submits to one another. We submit to the needs of one another. We submit to the desires and the wants of one another. Paul says this is acting wisely. So here are three ways that we can imitate God as His children. We walk in love, we are light, and we act wisely. Wisely, And all of these different characteristics are a result of who God is. So I suppose the, the question that we need to answer before we uh, sort of end our time here in the Word is what are we imitating? Because as human beings, you are imitating something. Maybe you're saying, no, I'm more of a trendsetter myself. No, I think Paul would say that as human beings that are in a relationship and in fellowship with one another constantly, we are becoming the things that we surround ourselves with. So maybe all of us need to take a a hard look in the mirror, look at the things that uh, fill our lives, and try to determine what it is that we are becoming like. Are we becoming more and more like the world and taking on the personality characteristics of the world? Or, Or are we becoming more and more like our Father? There is no neutral ground. We are becoming something. We are imitating something. And Paul encourages us to imitate God by putting on these three ways of life and loving the things that God loves, being light in the world, 
and being wise and filling ourselves with His Spirit daily so that we can shine brightly in a world that so desperately needs Christians today. So what are you imitating this morning? Uh, Maybe this morning you know that you've been imitating the world and, and you've never really come into Christ. And you would like to do that this morning by putting on Jesus in baptism. We would love nothing more than to help you take that step of faith this morning. Maybe on the other hand, like most of us, you are a Christian and you have taken that wonderful step of faith at some point in your life. Uh, But this morning, the ways of the world have sort of uh, taken you over. Uh, Maybe you're beginning to look more like the world and you've forgotten to imitate Christ in all areas of your life. And you would like the prayers of this church to lift you up and to help you get your lives back on track. Uh, We would love to do that for you. And by the way, that doesn't have to be a public thing. Our shepherds would love to meet with you sometime and help you get your life to where it needs to be. But if there's something that we can do immediately for you this morning, we would love to do that as we stand and sing together.